1: need? The gospel. Well, what's the gospel? You've been given a new chance, a new life, a new fresh perspective, another opportunity, a new beginning. That's why Jesus, who started all this, would say, you've been born again. In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this did take place. It took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The key verse being verse twenty-six. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Think about that phrase, they were called Christians. When, when you hear that in scripture, you need to understand what it means that someone was called anything because to be called something was a designation typically of your occupation. So in the ancient world, it might not be surprising that someone whose last name was a baker, they were a baker. If their last name was fisher they were fishers they were called by their occupation so what this was saying is these people were occupied with Jesus they literally were like little Christ they were the imitators of Jesus it wasn't an internal description it wasn't that the church met and said what what should we call ourselves let's come up with a name what's this club no, it wasn't internal. It was an external designation. And frankly, it was derogatory. They were looked, like, looked at in a negative way, like the criminal on the cross, Jesus. You might be surprised to it was not the most common designation of who we are in Scripture. In fact, there are more common descriptions. The term believer is used 80 times in the New Testament. The term saint I'm not going to ask you if you think of yourself as a saint. The term saint is used 60 times in the New Testament. The term disciple is used 30 times. The term Christian is given to us three times in the Bible. What are the other two times? I think it's interesting. One is right here where they were identified by the marks that made them like Christ. The second is when Paul is at Caesarea by the sea you can still visit, and we did last summer and we will this winter, you can visit in Caesarea by the sea, uh, the very place where Paul stood and, and he argued for the faith and it says in verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So the second time we see about the term Christian, it's a reminder that we are to be what Peter calls always able to defend our faith. We should be able to persuade others as a result of what we've experienced. The third time we see what it means to be a Christian, is 1 Peter 4, 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Isn't it interesting that one of the three times that you see the term Christian in the Bible, it doesn't say anything about your health or your wealth. It talks about your suffering. That when you look like Jesus, when you are occupied with Jesus, when you're identified by the one named Jesus, you identify with him in your sufferings. Here, it's just about the difference. They were distinct. They were set apart. I will remind you of our big idea. Authentic Christ followers are always set apart. They're always different from the society in which they live. So uh, just a, a good place to take a time out, to pause and ask this question. We all have circles of influence. It's probably a fair thing to just ask, does anybody just see the way you're living? And say, you're Christian, aren't you? So if I'm a teacher, I'm not talking about you teaching the New Testament in your public school class. But if I'm a teacher, if I'm a Christ follower, according to the Bible, people should be able to see the way I teach and say, you're a Christian, aren't you? If I'm in business, if I'm a Christian businessman or businesswoman, people should be able to look at the way I conduct myself in the office and in the business world and say, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? No matter who I am, no matter what I do, that should identify me. It's like what I heard as a child. I remember hearing this as a child. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Do people look at your life and identify you this way? Well, in Antioch, they clearly did, and it was a big deal. We think about the Bible and we see movies, and they're usually not the best produced movies, and it looks like everybody in town knows everybody, and it's small cities. Antioch, over 2,000 years ago, was 500,000 people, the third largest city in the world at that time. Some of you may not understand history. After the fall of the Roman Empire, there would not be another city the size of Antioch until 1850 in London. And yet, this little band, of Christ followers, were making such an impact that in this mega city of the day, they stood out. Are we standing out? I would say no, we're not. No offense, don't get mad at me. Heard this week, just in our little circle in Baptist life, it's now 17 churches a week that are closing their doors for business. If we were standing out, I, I don't think that would be happening. So I want to give you some markers before I pray with you of what defines this Christian in the counterfeit world. Is it what we believe politically? Is that what lets people know whether or not we're Christian? Is it is it how we look? Is it the things we do? Let's, let's see. First thing is this. When Christianity is clear, the gospel is preached. <laughs> Make no mistake. You can't be Christian and leave out the gospel. Now, that's true in a church. I like to think we're a creative church. I like to think we're not stuck in the 1950s and that we do things differently, although we we could do a little updating in this particular room right here, and with your generosity, one day we'll do that. But But here's the truth. We try to stick to the truth of God's word and the gospel. If you were to attend a church... And the gospel is not present in some way, you need to ask yourself, well, is this really a Christian church? Or is this just a talk show? Or or is it just a motivational speech? Or is it just a business session? So that's true in the church, but it's true in our individual lives. Every day in my life, if I'm a Christian, I preach the gospel to myself because I recognize I need the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? The good news is we don't have to be confused about that. It's described First 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, the apostle, says to the church at Corinth, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. So here it is. Let's perk up. I remind you of the gospel. I preached it to you. You received it. You stand in it, and you're being saved by it. So the gospel, one thing we see is it's going to be the source of this biblical term, Salvation. Why do I need salvation? I need salvation because I'm not saved. I'm not saved because according to the Bible, not my word, Scripture's teaching, according to the Bible, I'm separated with God because of my sin. Everybody's in that same boat. That sin will one day have to be punished in a place called hell if it's left undealt with. And so I'm lost. I need saving. I need someone to do what I can't do. Like a drowning person in a pool, I need a life preserver. I need someone to save me. I need a lifeguard. So he says, you're being saved by this gospel. If you hold fast, otherwise you believed in vain. And then he says, I delivered to you a first important what I received. And here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he raised on the third day, and according to the scriptures. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins. I need to be saved because I'm separated with God because of my sin but Jesus died for my sin. I love scripture when it says that God demonstrates his love for me that even while I'm still a sinner, Christ died for me. He died for my sins, but then it gives us this little phrase in accordance with the scripture, which means just like the Bible said he was going to. God always does what he says he's going to do. He died for my sins and then he was buried And see, the the truth of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, what we just celebrated in Lena's baptism on this campus was the reality that your old life is buried. Your sins are buried with Jesus. And then he was raised on the third day just like the scripture said he would be. You've been given a new chance, a new life, a new fresh perspective, another opportunity, a new beginning. That's why Jesus, who started all this, would say, you've been born Again, and it tells us in the book of Acts that this whole thing in Antioch started because these rebels, these rebel Christ followers, just kept preaching the gospel of Jesus. That's what a Christian does. Are you known for talking about Jesus? Next Sunday, we're going to give everyone who's present a gift that will help you in a journey we want to take you on. Because for the month of August, we're going to focus on a simple strategy. It's called, Who's Your One? You've been hearing that phrase since Easter of this year. But we want you to be praying about who God would lay on your heart and give you the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus to over the next six or seven weeks. Because great things happen when the gospel is preached. When the gospel is preached, lives are changed. Look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. Let me see your hand if you want the hand of the Lord to be with you. Anybody? Well, the hand of the Lord was with them as the gospel was preached. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Hey, I just want to ask you in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this. But some of you, the Holy Spirit of God has been working in your heart and in your mind. And when I told you the story of Cornelius, and, and, and when I told you the story... Of John Wesley. And when I mention our very own member, Jim Stock, you begin to realize I don't think I'm saved. And when I just talked about the gospel, you begin to realize, hey, I've been very religious and I've done good things. And I may say my prayer before I eat my meal at the golden corral, but I don't think I'm saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come in just a moment and tell me I need to be saved. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God will give you that courage to do so. When Christianity is clear, the gospel is preached. But when Christianity is clear, God's grace is promised. Oh, God's grace is prominent aren't you thankful for god's grace hi i'm paul purvis the lead pastor of mission hill church right here in tampa bay thanks for taking the time to listen to today's the barnabas effect it's a ministry intended to encourage equip and empower you you may not know this but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you we are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry came he saw the grace of God don't miss this Christ follower the single most important identifying characteristic of everyone who bears the name of Christ is that characteristic of grace if you were not known as a person of grace you're not doing this thing right because but for God's grace all of us would be in a mess right Grace has always been the theme. Occasionally I hear people make the mistake of saying, well, in, in the Old Testament was the law, in the New Testament is was grace. No, 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 no. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then at the end of the book, so Genesis is at the beginning, let's go to the end. The last verse of the Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty one, the grace of the Lord. Jesus, be with you all. I love the song we sometimes sing. Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery. Every day I fall on my knees because your grace still amazes me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm seeing. I'm so thankful for God's grace. Think of the different ways we need God's grace. I need God's saving grace. You don't have that relationship with God apart from God's saving grace. We all need saving grace. Probably no scripture identifies that better than the verses in Ephesians chapter two and verses eight and nine. It says simply this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not what? Say this. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Grace reminds me that I can't earn or deserve my relationship. You'll never be good enough if you're counting on living up to God's expectation to have an encounter with him, you'll never do it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be religious enough. You'll never go to enough church services. You can't do it. It's a gift. We all need God's saving grace, but we all need God's sustaining grace. Once we begin that relationship with him, we begin to understand, oh, I can't do it without him. I mentioned this last week, but I think every time I talk to a Christ follower in the, through the filter of death of someone they love, they almost say the exact same thing to me. Pastor, I can't understand how anybody goes through this without Jesus. Because you just recognize how much you need is grace. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. We need God's sustaining grace Some of you have heard me tell my story of a time in my life where I felt discouraged and depressed and because of my own sin, because of my own choices, found myself just in need of of God's grace and the grace of the people around me. And it was a Sunday morning and I would not gone to church. It didn't feel like going to church. I was the only one awake in our family. And I sat down in another person's house and I was watching the TV and flipping through the channels and I felt led to stop on uh, the Billy Graham crusade. And it wasn't even to his preaching yet. And it's just a reminder that sometimes God does what he wants to do before the preacher even stands up. And, and so it wasn't to the preacher. And George Beverly Shea was singing that old song. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. And I begin to just thank God for his sustaining grace and experience that in my life. And then we all need relational grace, don't we? Raise your hand if you're thankful that other people have shown you grace at different seasons in your life. You better be raising your hand. Now raise your hand if you've needed to show somebody else grace at a different season in your life. Yeah, we all have. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious. I love Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another Even as God in Christ forgave you When I understand the grace he gives me It makes me want to be gracious toward others I want to have a short memory of offense Years ago I heard that phrase And I began to pray it And I believe God's answered me Unfortunately he He, he answered more than that I think he's just given me a short memory <laughs> But maybe you just need to pray, God, give me a short memory of offense. Help me not to hold on to things. Even when people do hurt or even when I I have been wronged. Some people are EGR. That means extra grace required. You know anybody like that? (laughs) Well, give them the extra grace. Well, Christianity is clear. There's going to be that grace. But let me give you a third thing. When Christianity is clear, growth is pursued. Growth is pursued. See, a lot of us in here would say we're Christians. We've identified ourselves as that. If that's the case, according to Scripture, you should be able to look back and say, I was here, but now I'm here. If that's not the case, you've got a problem. Either you're not a Christian or you're not doing it right. Because growth is pursued. That's why we have community groups in our church and encourage you, in addition to the big worship setting, that you get in a small group Bible study and build relationships with others where you can ask questions. That's why we do things outside of the the church and people's homes and, and encourage you to do the same kind of thing because we all need to be encouraged in our faith. We all need to be encouraged in our faith. Verse 23, it says, Barnabas, who was that son of encouragement, came and he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. He exhorted means he encouraged them. I want to encourage you today. Grow in your faith. Be faithful to the Lord. We all need to be encouraged in our faith, but we all need to be educated in our faith. Another thing happens in verse 26. In verse 26 it says, for a whole year they met with the church and he taught a great many people. The whole premise of that verse is this barnabas gets there and he says man this is awesome he was glad he saw their grace he encouraged them then he said hold on a second i'll be back and literally he went to tarsus and he found saul saul who would become paul what was saul doing in tarsus well you know he went there after his conversion because he needed to be trained see the biblical principle we don't have a lot of this uh, in scripture We don't know. There's differences among theologians. Whether it it had been a couple of years since Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road, some think it had been as many as 13 years where he was growing up in the faith. He was being educated. Now Barnabas goes to get him, brings him back, and they began to teach the church followers, the Christ followers. We all need to be educated. Peter put it this way, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Do a quick evaluation. How's your growth? And by the way, when individuals are growing, the church grows. That's the pattern. Please hear this. The biblical model is not when the preacher preaches good, the church grows. Or when the music is flawless, the church grows. Or when the temperature is right, the church grows or when the nursery doesn't smell like baby stuff the church grows <laughs> the biblical principle is that when individual christ followers are growing the church grows the last thing when christianity is clear generosity is practiced now this is interesting to me because I'm a preacher's kid so all my life I've heard my people complain I've heard people complain about preachers talking about giving in church. It it doesn't matter that Jesus talked about giving more than any single other subject. And it doesn't matter that at the very first time in the Bible we hear the term Christian, immediately after that, they're identified as generous. So what happened? During that year where they were being taught in their faith, they began to hear about a need of Christians elsewhere in the world. And so they determined to give, to be generous. Verse 29, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And maybe it's interesting that we have the word disciples there. Because when you're truly discipled in the faith and you're that kind of Christian, not just an unsaved Christian or a cultural Christian, you're going to be generous. So we should give individually. They each purposed, every one of them. And then we should give intentionally. We should be saying, what can I give to to make a difference for the kingdom of God? I hear this, and I'm I'm just greatly reminded, you're never really more like Jesus than when you give. Because the Bible tells me the heart of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave. So let's go back to the big idea. Look at it again. Authentic Christians always stand out in society because their lives present a clear testimony of God's amazing grace. Here's what I want you to ask today. Is it fair to view myself as an authentic Christian? Are you living in such a way that you're standing out in the society? my friend from Jacksonville, Mark McDonald, has a great little marketing book. It's called Be Known for Something. And in it, he has a simple principle. You're going to be known for something. So choose what you're known for. Just think about that today. Are you known most for your political persuasions on social media? Are you known most because of the color of your skin? And how passionate you are about that? Are you known most about your vocation? Are you known most because of your children or your grandchildren and how proud you are? Are you known most because of your wealth or what you've managed to accumulate? According to Scripture, if we're known most by anything other than being identified with Jesus, we haven't got this thing quite right. So Christian, be clear. Live clearly, Christian. We need you in this counterfeit world. That term needs to mean something.
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement